Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Layers podcast, where we talk about all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by one of the top voices in our industry, Senior Editor for Ad Exchanger, Allison Schiff. Allison covers mobile, Facebook, cross-device, measurement, privacy, and the app economy for Ad Exchanger, which basically means she covers everything right now. Previously, she was senior digital strategist at Direct Marketing News, where she blogged regularly and handled web and social strategy. And I really look forward to picking her brain on the topics facing us today. Welcome to Hidden Layers, Allison. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right into it because we have, I'm sure, tons to talk about. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. You have, I would say, a finger or two on the pulse of ad tech and digital marketing. And sort of for the first time in a while, I mean, look, things are always happening, but things seem to be coalescing. 2021 is probably going to be a big year for a lot of things. And, And on this podcast, we like to cover AI and deep learning. But I thought today we could start by covering some of the inputs of deep learning first, because in marketing, you know, well, in deep learning, inputs are everything. But in marketing, there's tons of data, digital advertising data, but this year is really going to see some changes. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, cookies and accurate tracking. And then also with all that attribution modeling and how how are we going to figure out whether conversions occurred and how how are people going to figure out whether their marketing is going to work? You're so right. Everything does feel like it's converging. And all of my beat areas feel like they're bleeding in together because Facebook privacy regulation, I mean, they're all kind of one topic right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just, you know, I just saw Facebook is really gotten me dialed in the advertising. I was one of those t-shirt sites that has all these funny, irreverent t-shirts. I got an ad the other day and I totally bought it. It was a cookie monster t-shirt that says, why you delete cookies. <laughs> and, and I just thought, Hey, that's, that's for me. So, you know, I think that's the big question on everyone's mind. And of course the, the, the end of third party cookies is going to change everything, whether or not it's, it's superficial on the surface, even though there's a huge backend change or whether that just changes everything. I I think that's what I'd love to hear from you. Do you think we will successfully replace the cookie with an alternative ID, alternative ID system, like, like a live ramp or the trade desk consortium or, or whatever, or do you think we're going back to contextual advertising? Well, first I would totally wear that t-shirt that you just (laughs) mentioned. I'm such a nerd for that kind of stuff. (laughs) But I feel like the answer to your question is like, yes, sort of all of the above, because the cookie is definitely, you know, crumbling. It's been a prolonged process. And now, you know, it's a sort of zero hour. And I I think it's going to be a bunch of solutions that, you know, end up not necessarily replacing the cookie, but just bubbling up as a collection of alternatives. And that includes contextual that includes some of the industry efforts like Unified ID 2.0 that was spearheaded by the trade desk that's starting to pick up some steam, that it, that includes you know, what LiveRamp is doing with ATS, that includes a really crowded vendor landscape, so-called cookie-less solutions, and everybody just sort of vying and jockeying for a little bit of mindshare, but I think also trying to just figure themselves out. It, it's sort of funny because now when I get pitches in my inbox, I mean, 
every single one, it feels like, has the word cookie-less in it. And if you ask anybody how their solution works, suddenly they're they're apparently not that reliant on cookies, right? Like, oh, no, no, we don't really rely on cookies very much, but we have this cookie-less solution for you and it's going to be great. So it's a little bit like talking at both sides of their of their right. mouths but this is going to be a year of of testing a year of a little bit of freaking out because last year was sort of a buffer year right, right. i mean it was in january yeah i mean you could ignore it or you could just you could feel like the theoretical and the proposal stage was enough at that point because mm. there is a lot to talk about but at a certain point you got to you got to do action yeah. And, and, and so look, I'm an optimist and I just feel like, you know, being in the industry, as long as I have, there is a technical solution to any, any challenge in the internet in general and in advertising, digital advertising. I just feel optimistic that there will be an alternative ID system. I think that publishers and marketers will want this because it enables continued sort of one-to-one attribution capability. So I'm optimistic. I'm just wondering if you're as optimistic as I am, or do you think that it's the death of one-to-one marketing and we're all going to have to do demographic targeting on television from now on? I mean, I don't think it's fully the death of, of one-to-one, but there is a trend toward like the the notion of aggregated insights and just aggregation in general particularly you know if you look at some of the proposals in the privacy sandbox that are under discussion right now at the W3C it's it's about learning about groups and cohorts like you just hear the word cohort over and over again and i i mean i as 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 not a practitioner i i'm always a little bit reliant on like what people tell me about how their solution works i'm reading lots of case studies but I don't know that I ever see the the it didn't work case studies. And I've always in the back of my mind wondered like how really useful true one-to-one really is for targeting and why it has to be like that. I mean, I I don't know that you have to go that specific necessarily. And if it's even, um, if it even backs out, I mean, you have to layer in so much targeting and do so much work to hit the maybe right person. Like is the ROI there? I don't know that the ROI for one-to-one is, is necessarily what has been sold to a lot of marketers. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, the, the, well, first of all, the vast majority of marketers are still using manual optimization techniques to try to figure out where to place their ads for us at Cognitive and a bunch of the other algorithmic advertising companies, you know, one-to-one is definitely a very important part of how you train, you know, these Mm. algorithms to automatically find your efficiency for you. And I think that the, you know, one of the things we're seeing, and and I'm sure you see is that the, the media agencies and the trading desks have not been successful at scaling and, and repeating their successes using these trading desk manual optimization capabilities. And I think everybody's sort of exhausted by the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we definitely uh, want a one-to-one solution, a cognitive, but I think in general, the overlap and, you know, I hear a lot of concern about a Google-only sandbox solution. Oh, for sure, yeah. And and making making a, a non-Google sandbox aggregate solution work seems like that that seems even more impossible than than many of the other things that we've been talking about. I don't know. 
I think a really big challenge, no, no, a, a big challenge is that, you know, the the browsers are taking a very yeah. strong hand here. And so, you know, you, you as you as a vendor, like maybe not you personally, yeah. but just like the vendor community always has to kind of have eyes in the back of its head or be yeah. really thinking about, well, is what I'm trying to create now, is it going to just be dead in the water after, yeah. you know, some unilateral change by a platform company? Yeah, and I, I wonder if the browser system and you know the browser system was pretty innocuous for a long, long time, and then all of a sudden it's it's come out as sort of this in, an aggressor almost. And and I think a lot of both publishers, I think everybody, I mean not just the vendors but the publishers, the whole ecosystem feels like they've been held hostage to a certain extent by by an organization that that they are not a part of and have no say in, you know. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how everyone reacts this year over what's actually going to happen. Because like you said last year, I think we talked about it and a lot of people were able to either ignore it or just uh, think of it as a theoretical, you know. I'm curious though, what you're hearing from your own clients, if I could pose a question to you with all of this just happening, not so much in the background, kind of in the foreground now. I would say that we have not, we're, I'm seeing a lot more adoption and thought leadership from the publishing side than the marketing side. And I think really? that I think that the marketers that we've spoken to that are thinking ahead on this, in my experience, have been more in line with Google-centric marketers. So I think Google is making a good, is, is doing well educating on their sandbox solution. But I would say that that is still the minority of clients that we've spoke that we've had real conversations on this about. Most of them, in my opinion, are probably not paying attention and we've we've talked yeah. to them about that. So I get the sense that advertisers just want the industry to figure it out and like their agencies to just tell them what happened, like what they should do. Yeah. As opposed to really being involved, although I don't really think there's a, a very strong publisher voice at the W3C, although, you know, on the industry side, like at Ivy Tech Lab, you know, for example, and, and also, you know, slowly within the Unified ID 2.0 initiative, like with the Washington Post and Mediavine and, and maybe some others that will join there, there is a publisher voice. I feel like publishers are getting pretty excited about stuff like first party data like that. That's what yeah. I hear from publishers. You know, being from the publisher side and the agency side and the ad tech side, I would say that there is a, there has always been this old school idea at the publisher, at some publishers, that going back to contextual first party data is going to be a win. And just my experience on all sides of this business is that these tiny, unless you see a huge amount of consolidation on the publisher side to where you have a first party cookie network that is as large as a Facebook or whatever, that those solutions are not going to help you that much. Cutting the ecosystem back up into a thousand little pieces of IDs is not going to be effective or efficient in any way for advertisers. And they're just going to they're just going to continue to gravitate more and more towards Google and Facebook. And I think that's a big challenge. Now, uh, I went on an IAB, not an IAB, a DAA junket to DC. And I would mm-hmm. have to say that 
the publishers involved in that junket were pretty clear about the monopolistic opportunity that that going cookie-less was giving to Google and Facebook. So I think we're, and, and sort of the, 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 the rise of local privacy regulations, like the California regulations versus a federal blanket regulation. That's something I think we all are interested mm-hmm. in having so that we can all comply in the same way. I mean, for the moment, you know, without a federal privacy regulation in place and not an exact path toward one just yet, even though there were some bills passed here and there, and who knows what happens under Biden, CCPA is like a de facto national law now. Yep. Yeah. One thing I want I wanted to ask you a question, actually. I know you're supposed to interview me, but sure. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. So publishers and, and first party data, I mean, I've spoken to a bunch of publishers and they're all pretty excited about their first party data initiatives. And they feel like it's, they feel like they've been disintermediated from their end users and that they now have an opportunity to reclaim that relationship. And it feels like they feel very hopeful. Do is that like a Pollyanna attitude? Like, do you think that they'll be able to really fulfill on the promise of all of those direct relationships? Or, you know, it is it just like you were saying, it's like this balkanized thing. Like, even if you're the biggest publisher, you only have so many million people who, you know, you can have a relationship with directly. Yeah, I think that, yeah. So my, my most premium publisher experience was CBS Interactive. So we had... CNET, which has got a lot of very valuable mm-hmm. first-party data because it reviews all the tech and the consumer electronics and all the new cell phones and things like that. So anybody reading those reviews was in market. We had a lot of in-market data, and that was very valuable first-party data. It's always been valuable. It was valuable before we had RTB. It's valuable now, and it will be valuable if RTB is replaced, uh, if cookies are replaced, third-party cookies are replaced. So you know, my 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 take and my discussions with publishers has always been, unless you have something unique about your first party data, it's it's not it's not valuable. It never has been. It wasn't mm-hmm. disintermediated because of centralized RTB cookie third party cookie capabilities. You know, news general audience news is exactly as it sounds you know there's no in-market capability there there's nothing that shows you where you are in the in the funnel and trying to cut that up into an audience of demographics maybe is is sort of like you know it's going back in time uh, 20 years and and only size will matter then you know but it Thinking of like the past, but then like a blast from the past, you were saying, you know, you maybe, you know, RTB goes away, but like with, with third party cookies going away, I think, you know, RTB has a, a role to play with um, a more sophisticated approach to contextual, right? I yes, mean, absolutely. like contextual doesn't have to be like your grandma's contextual. Everyone's coming up with really interesting stuff and like bringing in new kinds of contextual data, not just, oh, like they're reading an article about cooking, you know, like where are they? Like location data yeah. and like Comscore is doing something interesting, like on that front, I think auto data, location data, financial data, and all of that can be considered contextual in, in a sense, you know, it doesn't have to just be demographics. Yes, absolutely. And contextual is, is going to become more important. Unfortunately, I'll say, I'll say this based on all of our research, all of our usage of uh, a lot of different inputs for modeling. And, and, you know, 
we used to hear this from Trade Desk, and we thought it was a little bit self-serving in the way that that they they've created their their sort of their their bid factors and things like that. And they were always saying, look, the only thing that matters is audience. The only thing that matters is audience. The only thing that changes performance and KPIs is audience. So so find the right audience and target them. We definitely see that as true with the caveat of very specific products like motorcycle insurance. Yeah. Motorcycle insurance performs really well contextually because the audience is tiny. But if you're trying to sell anything in bulk at scale, like beds, everyone needs a bed. But when do they need it? CPG anything, you know? Yeah, CPG is Uh, just... CPG anything, autos, et cetera, et cetera. Anything that goes to a large general public context doesn't matter that much. Finding the people that are going to... um, going to be interested in your product matters much more. And context adds value and efficiency, but it's not the first priority of, of, of a performance capability. So I think that publishers will find that unless they have very, very specific context and they will be dealing with very, very contextualized products and, and you know, not that many publishers have that kind of content, they're not going to have as much of an advantage as they think trying to not adhere to it and improve a, an alternate ID scheme. Hmm. I mean, this will, this will be the year to find out 2021. So speaking of C, we just, we just talked about CPG a little, you, you've covered the CPG retail networks that are coming up, Walgreens, Mm -hmm. CVS, uh, Walmart, of course, Kroger, you know, are you seeing, how are you seeing those succeed? Because what they're trying to say is that we can show an ad now. And and then of course, with cookies, track that ad to a purchase in our loyalty programs. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems to be an important big step for CPG brands that they've been looking for for a long time. Yeah, and, and you know, not exactly the same, but sort of triggered by the same reawakening that publishers have had about the maybe value of their first party data, you know, third party deprecation waiting in the wings, like retail media networks are cropping up, you know, with that happening in the background, like traditional retailers realizing in the same sort of way as publishers have realized that they have potentially a really interesting asset they haven't been taking as good advantage of as they could. And so Target and Kroger and Walmart and CVS and Walgreens, they all inherently have a lot going for them because they have first party identity data, but they also have transaction data and they own the point of sale and they can tie media exposure right back to e-commerce. And, you know, it's just a really well-rounded relationship with consumers and it spans digital and, and physical. It's just a challenge of bringing that vision to life. And so they've all realized that there's a ton of opportunity and they're grabbing for it. So it's, I think it's a little early to say, though, how well they're performing, but there is a little bit of insight uh, that I've gotten from talking to a few of them. Uh, when I spoke to Walgreens, they're the, the newest one to really productize their, their retail media network. Their, their VP of integrated media, this guy named uh, Luke Keigel, he said to me, I think it was a 2x plus percentage improvement on campaigns that incorporate a first party data and loyalty data, either as the segment, the audience segment itself, or as a seed to model off of. So that's a pretty big improvement. And and Walmart's offering has been out there for uh, just a little over a year. And so there's a little bit more information about how that's going. They put out a blog post. It was right at the end of 2020, outlining some of the momentum 
that they saw with their their media group and it was i think it was like something like 40 percent like net new advertisers that have come over to work with walmart basically in order to take advantage of walmart media group so it helps them you know be stickier and you know it has the potential to really improve campaign performance that's great that's good to hear so with that we we go to sort of attribution and and these closed network, you know, it makes a lot of sense for these closed networks, these retail networks to be able to say, okay, we showed an ad, uh, that that person that saw the ad bought bought the product in the ad. But that that brings into question advertiser attribution in general. You know, we have now Google with its sandbox, maybe alternate IDs, et cetera, but we still have the vast majority of marketers out there using last touch attribution and heavily valuing search and Facebook and things like that in those models. Have you heard about that in the industry and where you think, are we ever going to get to a, a multi-touch attribution, which is much more accurate, everybody admits, or or is everyone's just given up on attribution in general and just doesn't care anymore? I mean, I don't think anyone's given up on it. You know, it, it's interesting because I feel like measurement sometimes gets a little bit of short shrift or it gets forgotten about. I mean, you brought up the privacy sandbox, most of the proposals in there are trying to come up with ways to do targeting without cookies. And there's not a lot of talk of measurement. There's, I think, some early testing on a conversion API. And um, Newstar put a proposal, I think it was like maybe in November, into the privacy sandbox but it to do with measurement. But it was more like a call to action, like, let's talk about it. Like, Let's consider it. Don't forget how important measurement is. It's not all about targeting. I mean, last touch and last click and last tap. I mean, it's it 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 does feel like it has unfortunately some life left in it. it it's very prevalent on, on in mobile, you know, with app attribution. So, I mean, I would hope that we would be getting away from that, but I think we're still mired in it. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about app advertising because that's another area you you cover. And because of all these issues, you know, we're talking about this all converging together. Is mobile advertising in in its tradition in its quote unquote traditional form dead? You know, it's like we have we're not we're not gonna have mobile IDs. Location data seems to be going the way of the dodo because of because as as it probably should, people are actually having to ask for uh, location data in a game, which makes no sense, et cetera. So, yeah. so are we seeing, are you seeing, you know, sort of the mobile advertising space having to reinvent itself entirely? I mean, there is some reinvention that has to happen, but, you know, and partially to do with the app tracking transparency framework that Apple, you know, will be flipping the switch on at some point this year, early this year. Uh, that's to do with, you know, getting the opt-in for IDFA and, and iOS 14. And that that triggered a sort of existential, one of many existential crises for, for mobile advertisers and uh, the, you know, attribution community in, in app land. And uh, this isn't the first time, I mean, it's a, it's a big, it's going to be a big change, but this isn't the first time that there's been some sort of big change, some sort of switch flipped and, you know, Vendors have had to to roll with it and and figure out what to do. So, I mean, right now it's trying to figure out how SK Ad Network works, which is, you know, Apple's little concession for for attribution. You know, now that 
you know, you're not going to have the same sort of, um, you know, data access. It's a complicated tool. I don't fully understand how it works. I mean, there's a, a strange timing mechanism within it, a 24 hour timer that starts to function at a certain point upon like first app launch. And then, you know, once that timer expires, there's a conversion value that get, gets locked in. It's like quite, it's quite complicated, or at least I find it quite complicated. I, I think that I, I, I've just seen it happen in the like six-ish years that I've been writing about mobile. I think the people who you know, create these solutions, the vendor community in the mobile world, they're like, really very smart people and they're very good at rolling with punches. And so I, I think there's going to be a, a bunch of chaos when you know, the IDFA goes opt-in and device IDs are no longer accessible in the way they were. I mean, some people might opt in to share it. Who knows? But I do think it'll 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 change. Maybe how you know it'll obviously change how attribution is done. But I, I just don't I don't see you know the end of you know anything. There's still going to be tons of money flowing in here, and I, I just I, I like a, you you said you were optimistic before. I, I feel like pretty optimistic about about all of this. Yeah. And, and do you think that every every game and app is going to ask you for your email now or or I guess Maybe. Phone, num- phone number phone number also can be used as a I mean they're going to ask you for something. I mean, so it, I mean you, you could you could argue though and it, it is the case that like some some apps really don't deserve some of the, you know, data that they've just been able to grab quite easily. Yeah. You know, like you just, you don't need to share certain things with certain apps and a reset maybe is, is necessary. It's been kind of a very, it's been very grabby. Right. Exactly. Okay. All right. So let's, let's move on to AI. You you recently did a a podcast on AI with a brand tech roll up. Um, Mm -hmm. What are you hearing about the AI? You know, AI has been used for years People are sort of tired of hearing about AI, but I do think that we've turned 2020, 2021, I think we've turned a a sort of a corner on that. And in fact, whereas before everyone's like, oh gosh, AI, that doesn't work. It's never worked. Now I I feel like people are pretty optimistic on, on and interested again in AI because I think it is working. You know, we're, we're seeing a lot better results from AI tool sets. So what, what are you hearing? I mean, maybe we're on the cusp of some really practical applications and people will start talking about using AI in, you know, in real ways, as opposed to just adding more froth into the the sort of the, the world, that the world doesn't need more froth. I think that's partially why people got a little bit sick about talking about AI, even though it's, we're still like so early, because there was just so much blah, blah, blah. But there are some really like interesting applications coming like customer service for sure is going to be one. And one area I think is pretty interesting and you hear IBM talk about this a lot actually is how AI and machine learning kind of fit in with privacy. You know, like, I mean, I, I don't have my PhD in how these things work. So like my basic understanding, right? I mean, you have programmatic rooted in automatic transactions. And then, you know, AI is sort of augmenting human thought in a way. And so, you know, you bring AI in to look at the patterns of what people do and their behavior, apply that to programmatic, you know, and then you can make decisions and offer 
insights on these really massive data sets. And then you can have marketers making just more informed decisions like that. That seems like not so futuristic. It doesn't have to be, you know, I don't know, that doesn't have to be part of the robot revolution. Like that just feels like an evolution, like an interesting evolution. And I mean, the potential is there to use AI to do that and, you know, to do it in the absence of, of cookies and other identifiers, because you can look at these massive data sets and pull aggregated insights, you know, using, using that technology. And I mean, I think it's an opportunity to think about targeting and measurement in a different way, a less sort of leaky way that's more focused on predicting the future uh, based on aggregated data. Yeah. So it'll be really, it'll be interesting to see, I think what happens in like a few years from now, I think it's still a little bit, still a little bit early. Hmm. Interesting. And, and sort of, as we as we begin to wrap this up, what let's talk a little bit about ad tech, the M and A market, IPOs, etc. Uh, yeah. It seems like there's been a resurgence and a success in these. My question is, do you think that it's only specific to the to the buzzword of connected TV, or do you really think that there's fundamentals there that are that are helping this this resurgence in value? I mean, CTV has a, a bunch to do with it, but I mean, there are other companies like Viant just went public. I'm like, okay, I didn't expect Pubmatic, so and I I didn't expect an IPO for Viant either. You know, I, like a few years ago, ad tech stocks were having a really like tough time, and there weren't really many IPOs because investors had gotten burned. Sort of, you know, looking back at what happened with Rocket Fuel, for example. Right. So sentiment was just it was in the I guess it was in the toilet. And I've been told by multiple ad tech founders and CEOs that it's still hard for them to raise money because there's this like squeamishness and this skepticism from the investor community. But I mean, there are notable exceptions like the trade desk CTV, but I mean, LiveRamp is doing pretty well. And I mean, they're also, they love talking about CTV now too, but I mean, Critio has had its ups and downs, but it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not doing too bad. And I mean, those are some positive benchmarks for ad tech companies and, and data companies lately. You know, in 2020, like, wasn't a, it wasn't a great year. And I spoke with Luma Partners recently, one of their VPs, Connor McKenna, about an end of year report that they put out looking at M&A activity, like particularly strategic M&A over the course of 2020. And overall M&A activity was down 30% year over year, which was mostly because of like a just total lull in in the second quarter mm-hmm. but momentum's picking up and that's like despite it's despite general uncertainty because there are some things that are actually pretty certain if you think about it like the massive acceleration of con- certain consumer habits like mostly digital ones like connected tv and audio streaming gaming e-commerce and like all of these things are good bets for investment and uh, you know there was also a pretty decent recovery. Like I always forget which letter, I guess a, v, a V-shaped recovery for digital ad spend. That's when something yeah. bad happens and then it bounces back pretty quickly, right? I mean, there are a lot of alphabet, a lot of, it's an alphabet soup of different no recovery words. W, but yeah, I think a V-shaped no recovery. W. No doubt, right, the W is bad. Yeah. But yeah, I think there was some pent up demand and you know, once dust settles, like people are really adaptable. So conversations obviously stopped in the second quarter, but negotiations started up again and, you know, yeah. People, people are, are ready to are ready to roll. There's some SPACs out there. I'm still learning about SPACs. Yeah. So people can normalize to craziness around them and move forward. SPACs are definitely gonna 
continue to ramp up until until they until something bad happens they're going to continue to come yeah all right so let's let's wrap this up with one last question for you usually we ask oh what what's next for our guests but for you specifically i think i want to know what are you excited about in the next three months because that's pretty short yeah that is really short term like personally or for the industry or for ad exchanger open-ended Okay. I mean, personally, I would, I would love to like get out there. I'd, I'd love for the world to just, I don't know, settle itself down, normality, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just like shots and arms. That would be super. I mean, personally, I'm really interested in podcasting in the different opportunities that are cropping up there. I haven't written a lot about it, but I'm really interested in it. And so there, there have been a bunch of acquisitions Spotify made an acquisition, Megaphone, Wondery, Amazon. So I'd like to, you know, keep an eye on how that shakes out. So I know I just signed myself up to write more stories. There's not time in the day, but I think that's really interesting, like the podcasting world. And I'd like to personally also listen to more podcasts. And also I would like to have fewer verbal tics. I've been told that I say, you know, a lot. So (laughs) yes, I used to be a very big ummer. And had to work very hard on that. I, and I'm still still working on it. But we're used to being in our caves now, so all of our good habits are leaking out. And leaking like data. That's right. <laughs> that does it for another edition of Hidden Layers. My guest has been Ad Exchanger Senior Editor Allison Schiff, and we've covered a lot today. Thank you, Allison, for being here, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Send me that link for the Cookie Monster t-shirt, please. (laughs) Definitely.